Thank you all. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is great, great, great to be back. Good morning again. My name is Jody Coleman. I am the uh, pastor of the online campus. And for a lot of, I see a lot of new people out here, which is just great. And for those who don't know, uh, my wife and I, we are part of the team that, that launched Syracuse. Uh, a lot of great members that did that, launched Syracuse after a bunch of us got voted off the island for the other campuses. <laughs> they said, well, you just go launch something in the Syracuse city, and, and we helped with that. And, and then COVID hit, and as people were coming back, my wife and I were like, eh, we're going we're gonna to be a little cautious. We're going to wait a little while longer uh, because some of y'all had some Kobe cooties, and y'all was just spreading them around. And they said, Alpine said, well, since you're going to be home anyway, why don't you help build up this online campus? And I said, sure. So uh, I, come, I come here today, and as part of the teaching team, we rotate. They, they let me every once in a while. Not too often, though. Not too often. But I'm glad to be back. I am glad to be continuing in the book of Mark today. Yes, yes. We're going to be continuing in chapter 3. As we, heard, as we learned last week about love and legalism, uh, you know, Jesus talking the, the, the differences between the two. And I, always, I thought it was funny how on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees were getting on Jesus about working, and then later they worked the plot to kill him, right? I thought that was a little odd. <laughs> but today we're going to continue, and we are going to be talking about the difference between being a Jesus groupie and a Jesus follower, between a Jesus group and a Jesus follower. Now, growing up, I was never really a groupie of anyone. The closest I came to was a group called New Edition, okay? <laughs> all the people, all the people of older age got that, right? And they were supposed to be the next Jackson 5. And I was I don't know if you could call me a groupie because I don't know if you could be a groupie and be broke, right? Because we were broke. We were broke, busted, and disgusted. And we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I, I couldn't do a lot of things. I couldn't buy a lot of posters. I might get their cassette tape, you know, for those who know what that is, cassette tape. Uh, but I wasn't going to a concert because I figured if I did have money for a concert, I might want to buy some clothes instead, right? So I never was really, really a groupie. But we really, I followed him. I was even, uh, even in a, a band uh, that we, we were called The Boys. But because none of us could really sing, we had to get someone who could. And it was a sister of some, one of the members. So we had to change our name to The Boys Plus One, right? I know, very creative, right? Very creative. But one thing we didn't have was any groupies, right? Because we were not that good. <laughs> we were not that good at all. But today we're going to cover, uh, again, go through Mark chapter 3, covering verses 7, to, 7 through 19, as we go over some of the people that were following Jesus. So, again, the question is, are you a Jesus groupie or a faithful follower. And as we look at the verses today, we're going to see how Jesus kind of shrunk the crowds uh, from this grand crowd to 
some of his followers to a special smaller circle of 12. And as we look at the largest group, I think it's fair that we call them Jesus groupies. Now, we know that Jesus attracted mass crowds. Mass crowds, they came for his teaching. They came for their physical needs like healing. They came to really seek God, some of them, for salvation. Now, we also know that some of them came because they opposed him and rejected him and wanted to trap him. Uh, and I'm sure that a lot of people were indifferent. They were, hey, what's going on tonight? The game's not on, so what do you want to do? Well, I heard it's this Jesus dude in town, and people are kind of talking about him. So let's go check him out. So I'm sure a lot of the crowd was indifferent. And it's at this point that Mark gives us a recap of just how popular Jesus was. Mark 3, 7 through 8 says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Now, we see a bunch of people from different areas followed Jesus. So let's look at the map just to kind of get an idea of where they came from. We see the circle is where the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was focusing his ministry at this point, right? And then you can see that people came from as far south as Idumea, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now, uh, Judea is about 70 miles from Galilee. And we see Edomea was even further, so about 100 miles from Galilee. And we see also that they had people on the east of the Jordan River from Perea and Decapolis. And then as far north as Tyre and Sidon. A vast number of people from way, ways away. Now remember, Judea was about 70 miles away. And people had to walk to see Jesus during that time. They may have had a donkey or something, but they had to walk, and a lot of people came for healing, which means they were in pain, they were in discomfort, but because of they heard of this great healer, they were willing to make the track all that way. Now, if you compare Jesus to today's celebrities, I think we could say safely that Jesus was bigger than Taylor Swift, okay? All right? Now, I know, I know some of, some of you fans, I think, what do you call yourselves, Swiffers? No, Swifties, Swifties, that's what you are. Or if you follow Beyonce, you might be Beehive, right? I don't know. But I'm thinking he was more popular than Taylor Swift because I am pretty sure none of you Swifties, because from Syracuse to Vivian Arena, where the jazz play, where they have a lot of concerts, is 29 miles. I am certain none of you would walk 29 miles to see Taylor Swift, right? right? You might get to Kaysville, and then you're calling an Uber, right? But these people walked 70, 100 miles to see Jesus. And to kind of further describe the magnitude and the makeup of the crowds that sought Jesus, Mark goes into a, a little bit more. 9 through 12 says, Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush them. 
He had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught the sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits to reveal, not to reveal who he was. And so we see in these verses that people were so uh, felt the need, such an urgency to be healed by Jesus that they would, they would rush him even to the point where they may even crush him. And that prompted Jesus to back up, to get into a boat and get in the water just so he wouldn't be crushed, so he could continue to teach them even as he was healing them. And we also see, uh, just as we were uh, taught in chapter 1 of Mark, how when people possessed by demons would see Jesus, they would shriek and, and, and throw the body to the ground and exclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. They clearly know, these demons clearly know who he is. But when they say he's the Son of God, it's not an act of worship. It's an anguished, hateful declaration of power. And when we, and I like the way James puts it in, in chapter 2, because James is, is distinguishing those between those who know of Jesus and those who follow Jesus. He writes, you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you, for even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. The difference between just knowing who God is and following him. And I'm sure James was referencing some of these instances that he saw with his, with his own eyes. So we ask, why would Jesus silence these demons? Well, one of the reasons is because it wasn't time for this to be widely dispersed. But another reason, perhaps, is because people, not angels, not demons, are made in God's image. And it's people who are the recipients of his redemption. And so, as recipients, it's our job to tell others of his saving grace. And as we think about this, I want us all to think about, in light of these vast crowds that came to see Jesus, many, many people from many miles around, as Jesus died on the cross, rose again and ascended into heaven, all these thousands of people, and we read in different Gospels how he fed thousands, so we know it's a mass following. When he ascended back up to heaven, as Peter addressed the believers, there were only 120 gathered. Only 120. What happened to the thousands? Now, I get it. They, they weren't following the apostles. They were following Jesus, and now Jesus is gone, and so, you know, maybe some of them kind of you know, fell off like that. But I think it's a good indication that many people that were following Jesus at the time were more groupies than they were actually followers of Jesus. And so understanding this, when we look at these big churches and their vast congregations and we look at how many people like the video of faith maybe or how many followers of Christian uh, influencer has, I mean, first of all, what is a Christian influencer, right? I mean, do they go around taking pictures in front of churches, you know? 
show off their crosses like Flavor Flav? I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe they go around showing a Bible in front of various church uh, stores and so forth, right? Like, but we see just because you have a mass following doesn't mean that everyone is following Jesus. They might just be groupies. That as long as they are getting something from Christ, they're with them. But as soon as that's done, they're out. They're gone. And it's no longer, if it's no longer about them, they disappear. And it kind of correlates to the same attitude that the demons have, right? The demons are similar to groupies in a way because they both know what Jesus can do, but neither really following them. And today, people are really no different. They're really no different today. Many come to seek his hand rather than to seek his face. Rather, they come for what Jesus can give them, not to establish a relationship with him, not to honor him as God, as Lord and Savior. Now, as an example, I'm retired Air Force, and I work as a civilian on base, and from time to time, they have different info fairs, health fairs, job fairs, whatever. And so on occasion, I will go to these fairs, and I'll, you know, they have items, marketing items to tell who they are. And I'll grab some, some, I say items because I don't like to say swag, because swag seems like you're old trying to be cool, and I'm not trying to be cool. I am cool, right? <laughs> Y'all saw that coming, didn't you? <laughs> but... I would take their items, but when they started to want, try to build a relationship, I'd be like, ah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm out. Very similar to Jesus groupies. They get what they want, and then they leave. That's how a lot of people approach Jesus today. As long as I get something in return, I'm good. But once I don't feel that I'm getting anything, I'm out. And unfortunately, that's, that's everywhere in the world, in our nation, in our churches, even here at Alpine. So as we look at these verses, we see how the demons know who Jesus is. The crowds know what he can do. The Pharisees know what he can do, even though they're opposed to him. But are any of these people really true disciples? Because the definition of disciples, the word disciples means faithful followers. If you're a disciple, you are a faithful follower. And this is a much smaller circle in the crowds of Jesus. And ultimately, we know that Jesus was not looking for popularity. He was looking more for an impact. Jesus didn't need to be famous. I mean, he's Lord of heaven and earth. But he came to do the Father's will, to reconcile a broken, rebellious uh, human race back to himself, to raise up sons and daughters of God who truly belong to him. And his strategy was simple. Find and train faithful disciples people who live for what matters to him, not for what matters to themselves. And so let's see 
how Jesus kind of reduces the crowd. Mark 3, 13 through 15 says, Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Now, we see two groups here. One is a more general group, and one is a little bit more specific. And we'll get to them in a minute. But the point is, Jesus is looking for faithful followers who will join him on his mission. And again, these two groups, he, he whittles them down by doing what first? He calls out the ones. First thing about them, calling, out to, calling them out from the crowd. Invited by Jesus to be more than groupies. And even though he calls out a specific group of people, and maybe he knew who was going to come with him, but in a broader sense, we are all, each and every one of us, called to follow Jesus. If you are born in this world, you are called to follow Jesus. And after he calls them, guess what? They came to him. They came to him. They knew that their number one job description was to go with him, build that relationship with Christ. So when he calls you to follow him, we may think, oh, it's too much. But the great thing about Jesus is that he takes responsibility to prepare you to follow him. As we remember back in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, when Jesus come upon Simon and Andrew, Jesus says, Come follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. He will equip us for what he calls us to do. And for the rest of the book of Mark, he is intent on helping his disciples fulfill his mission. He, he starts by verbal teaching and by giving them an example of how to live a godly life. And then he gives them opportunities to rely on him and trust in him as we see that he sends them out to preach and gives them power to cast out demons. And when we look at this, you know one thing we don't see? We don't see that you have to be a pastor. We don't see that you have to have a title in church, right? We are all called to follow Jesus, and he, he has a very special mission for each and every one of us. And the basic mission for all of us is to share his gospel. We all have a mission. And no matter what your vocation is, now some may be called to be a pastor or uh, somewhere in, in ministry, but a lot of us aren't. A lot of us may be in the military or in government, be farmers, work in sales or whatever. But we all have a calling. We all are precious in his sight. And he wants to use us so that others can know of his love. We think about these crowds that followed Jesus. And just remembering that as we look through the Gospels, when Jesus entered Jerusalem beginning the final week of his life, 
crowds aligned the streets declaring him king. But during that week, guess what? He didn't overthrow the Romans. Matter of fact, he started telling them some hard-to-accept things. And by the end of the week, even though they were hailing him as king in the beginning, by the end of the week, they were calling for his crucifixion. Just like that. They went from groupies to enemies. So here's the question. Are you a Jesus groupie? Or are you a faithful follower? And how can you tell? Well, I spent hours and hours, days and months, actually, no, just five minutes this morning, of creating a list of how you could tell if you were a Jesus follower or a groupie, okay? You might be a Jesus groupie if your goal is to be the first out of church after the service. Or you might be a Jesus groupie if your idea of being part of the set-up teardown team is that you take the chair you sat in to the trailer as you leave and then expect a volunteer appreciation gift at the end of the year, right? Or you might be a Jesus groupie if you email daily prayer requests, but when they send you an email to volunteer for kids' church, it comes back undeliverable, right? You might be a Jesus groupie if you drop your kids off at kids' church and after worship, right before the sermon, you head out to one of the coffee places to come back just in time to pick up your kids after service. That doesn't happen here, does it? <laughs> All right. You might be a Jesus groupie if you convince yourself that just because they don't pass around the offering plate, God doesn't expect you to give. You might be a groupie if you can sing, but you're not on the worship team, but you have a standing appointment every week at the karaoke bar. Okay? Or you might be a Jesus groupie if you lead worship, but you have more groupies in other countries than you do at church. And I know Roland's not here, but that's about Roland, okay? <laughs> and finally, you might be a Jesus groupie if you come up with corny Christian list about being a Jesus groupie, right? <laughs> right? But in all seriousness, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are you a Jesus groupie or are you a faithful follower? Because I'll tell you, one of the scariest parts of the Bible I've ever read is Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus talks about judging others, he talks about taking the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. He talks about the golden rule. He talks about how to identify people by their fruits, by their actions and their words. And he, and he tells people there are going to be many that say, Lord, Lord, but won't make it into heaven. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but we cast out demons. We healed in your name. They did all these things for Jesus, and he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. Away from me, I never knew you. How scary is that? Many of us today, just because we think we know of God 
that we are faithful followers, even though in our hearts we know that we're not followers. And many today are going to come to that time when Jesus says, away from me. I never knew you. Are you a groupie or are you a faithful follower? What are you going to do when you're in a situation where God doesn't heal someone in your family or heal you? Will you continue to follow Christ? What will you do when you're praying for your marriage to be restored, but they remarry someone else? What will you do when you have hopes and expectations that you've been praying fervently to God for and they don't materialize? Is Jesus the center of your life or just another interest item like golf or maybe your kids or maybe your job? Is Jesus the center of everything that you are about? That's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Are we going to follow Jesus not because of what he can do for us, but who he is, Lord and Savior? And again, Jesus calls all of us to follow him. But there's a smaller group that Jesus called for a very special task. And guess what? Spoiler alert, they're not much of a dream team. All right? Let's look again at verses 14 and, 15. 14 and 15. It says, Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Now, these men are appointed as apostles. Now, they're big A apostles like them and little A apostles, all of us, because, again, we are all sent to tell others about Jesus. The requirement to be a big A apostle is that you had to be a witness of his ministry, his death and resurrection. That's why they're big A apostles. But they're just normal dudes. Ragtag bunch of misfits, right, who need a lot of work. Just like us. Mark goes on to actually name them. Verse 16 through 19, it says, These are the twelve he chose, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus named them, nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. I always forget about Bartholomew. How about you guys? <laughs> Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. These are the twelve apostles. And again, just normal people like you and me. And as we look a little bit at some of them, we see Simon, who he named Peter. He was a strong personality, right? Always yapping at the mouth. And you, he's the type of person that you would think in your head, just shut up. He was always being corrected by Jesus. But yet he was still used in a mighty way. You guys are laughing like you know somebody like that. <laughs> Then we have James and John, young, arrogant boys 
Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. And we don't know exactly why. Maybe because at one point they wanted to call down fire from heaven on the town. And Jesus Jesus like, no, nah, homies, we're not going to do that. Right? We also know that their mom was still involved in their life because their mom went up to Jesus in a private moment and said, can you put my sons on the left and right hand side of you when you're sitting on your throne? We have Matthew, a tax collector, who during that day, they had a bad rep because they were betraying their, 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 their people by being tax collectors for the Romans, and a lot of times they were cheating people. Now, I just want to say, if there's any people in the IRS here, I don't think that about you, all right? You guys are good people by me. I don't want you jacking up my stuff. <laughs> Right? And then we have Simon the Zealot, hardcore anti-government type. Zealots were, were a movement that they wanted to fight to overthrow Rome. Highly politicized was, was Simon the Zealot. Probably had a hard time keeping politics out of it, but eventually he, he started to realize that Jesus is so much more than this little bit of piece of politics that he was so earnestly fighting for. And then finally we have Judas Iscariot, the one who handed Jesus over to his enemies for money. Now whether he fell away or he never was a real follower of Jesus, don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus still used even him for his purpose to hand him over to the enemies for him to be sacrificed for our sins. That great gift of salvation. And the point is, just like God used these folks, he can use each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what type of internal negative thoughts you might have about yourself because of your past, God still thinks you're special. And he still loves you. And he still wants to use you. He still, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God, makes, God is making his appeal through us. He wants us to tell people to come to God. Now, I know most of, our, most of us, our first response is, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. Neither were, the, neither were these guys. But God really equipped us. He qualifies us. And it's so encouraging to see this. By the time Jesus left them, these ordinary dudes that needed a lot of work he had prepared them to continue his ministry. And they did it, even though they still weren't perfect. But they still had their focus on God. And we won't be perfect either. So again, are you a Jesus groupie or a faithful follower? Mark wants us to look at the vast crowds coming to see Jesus in contrast to the smaller number who actually follow him. Where do we fit in? Where would you say you are today? 
Maybe at one point you're here and you gave your life to Christ and you were on fire and you were no doubt a faithful follower, but then life happened. Maybe you got involved with kids' activities. Maybe you started being more focused on that promotion or higher salary at your job. Or maybe your friends, especially the younger folks here, kind of eased you away from God slowly. The encouraging thing is this. Jesus had all these followers. We read in the Gospels where he fed thousands at a time. When he was on the cross at Golgotha, all those people were gone. There were only a few people there with him. A few women, Mary and Martha were among them, and one, one apostle. I'll let you do research to find out who that one is. And then report back to Mark next week, all right? <laughs> but one apostle. But we see, even though they weren't there, at a very crucial time in Jesus' ministry, Jesus came back. He welcomed them in, his loving arms. He equipped them, and they were able to do great things in service of God. Maybe that's you today where you think you have failed God, but God still is calling you. He still wants to use you. And when I pray, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to pray a prayer of faith. And if you're in, in a situation in your life where you want to rededicate yourself to Christ, I want you to pray that prayer with me. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, but you know beyond a doubt now, even though you might have questions that, yes, this is my calling, I want you to join this prayer with me. And for the rest of you, I want you to pray for them as we pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with humble but open hearts. Father, today we recognize that we are sinners. Father, we have not held up to your standard. You are holy and you are truth. And Father, we have fallen short. But, Father, we know, we know that you have given us a gift in the form of your son Jesus who, who bled and died on the cross for my sin. So, Father, today, I place my faith, I place my life, I place all that I am in your hands. Father, help me. Redeem me. Restore me. Help me learn of your ways so that I may follow you. Be a true, faithful follower. 
Father, help me going forward. Even though I may have questions, even though at times I may have doubts, Lord, I welcome you into my heart as Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray all these things in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.